There was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night, he went to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. I am telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can a grown man be born again? He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. I am telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the spirit. Do not be surprised, because I tell you that you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. It is like that with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Intimate, powerful. The dramatization, I, I think, I know for me, it makes me feel like I'm just there with Jesus, being personally taught by Him. And now open, if you would, to John chapter 3. And as you do so, I want you to imagine, now that you're sitting across from me, over coffee, uh, may or may not be, you know, in candlelight, like we just saw in that video. It's up to you. Uh, your name happens to be Nicodemus, and it's clear by my look, or just the fact that I'm wearing a dress shirt, that I have something serious I want to talk with you about. And now I will read these same words to you from me, sitting across from you over coffee, to you. Listen, because I want to tell you something. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So I'm trying to tell you here this morning is you must be born again. Now let me tell you how people have responded to me sitting over coffee with them and, and sharing that with them. Because I have a number of people I, I was able to share with over the past month. One of the things I often asked them was, if I sat across from you and my main and plain encouragement to you was, look, insert your name here, you've got to be born again. How would you respond? And the responses I got were, that's, that's just weird. Ooh, that's kind of off-putting. Uh, are you a hippie? <laughs> was one of the things that was said to me. And I'm not really sure we can continue to be friends. That's the kind of feedback I received. And yet, I've seen this happen in real life, where someone will sit down with someone else, and they'll try to explain, what you really need to do, friend, is be born again. That will give you much more explanation. explanation. So despite the brilliance of Jesus' teaching here in John 3, I've got to confess, I have largely stayed away from this teaching to encourage Christians or to use with a skeptic about faith because it seems so often impractical, not relevant 
to their life. But that has changed for me. And I pray that it could change for you too. Maybe as what happened with me, you can see clearly with me just how practical Jesus' teaching really is about new birth. He is describing salvation as many of us, most of us, maybe even all of us truly experience salvation and encountering Jesus, and that is as a process. Consider this as a, as a big paradigm shift. Most of us, when we hear about Jesus saving us from death to life, we talk about things like, well, when did you accept Jesus? When was that moment you gave your heart to God? When in truth, many of us can't identify the moment, but it's usually a series of moments, right? A series of experiences, a series of encounters. One of my friends in the church I heard describe his salvation as like a wrestling match with God. And it just kept going. And there was this fight and this struggle. This questioning, this asking, this often saying, no God, I don't want you. Until he got to the point where he said, I give. I relent. Uncle to the Father. And that's how it is for many of us. Whether you're at a young age, and maybe the process is a little shorter, or if it's a longer process. When we wrap our heads just a little bit around this process, we'll see it's practical in more ways because the new birth addresses questions that we have head on. Let me give you a few of these here. Maybe you're, you're hoping to figure out where you really stand with God. As we unpack Jesus' teaching on the second birth, you can find that out. You want to be real without being embarrassed. Let's unpack Jesus' teaching about new birth. Do you hope to start a dialogue about faith with friends without it slipping into a monologue like I'm giving to you now? <laughs> do you sometimes doubt your own salvation? Do you, you kind of want to share, but you don't really know where to begin? I wonder why it seems so hard to bring a friend or family member to salvation. It doesn't have to be. Once we begin to unpack Jesus' teaching about being born again. And that's what we're going to see in this series. We're going to get to all of these questions, in fact, the last three you see up there in the coming weeks, and the first three today, that's right, three for the price of one today, and we're going to get to it in this order, text, tool, and take home. We're going to look to the text, and from the text is going to proceed a tool, a tool that we can use, we can take with us and use with our friends and family, our neighbors and our coworkers. The first thing we do well to notice in our text is the lack of any significant imperative or command from Jesus. We're accustomed when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, to hearing those who approach Jesus at some point receive counsel from Jesus. Right? Something to the effect of, go, sell everything, and follow me. Right? It's a command, go. Or don't tell anyone. Or rise, take up your mat, walk. Don't be afraid. Just believe. We don't see that here, do we? In this personal encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus usually brings the person up short and says, here's what you can do to step into a place of faith. But he doesn't win Nicodemus. Why? Because Jesus is describing, not commanding. He's describing a process, not commanding. A few years ago, Katie and I had the opportunity to visit Costa Rica. Stunning. Stunning place. And on our way from the RNL volcano down to, uh, that's kind of in the central or northern part, down well to the 
southwest where Manuel Antonio National Park is. On the way down, driving my rental car, I took a um, hasty left. All right, let's put it that way. And even though I saw a big mountain in front of me, I said, this is probably no problem. It was truly off the beaten path without a lick of habla espanol between the two of us. We just kept going. And at one point, our midsize sedan had to cross this tiny creek on what appeared to be a walking bridge constructed by hobbits. All right, it was just this little thing with this kind of little path. With our, 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 our car was like on the rails, on the concrete rails on the side. I think I put a picture up there. I just stopped afterwards, took a picture, wanted to document it. But we knew we had to keep going in that direction, keep going over the mountain. And we knew this because of Google Maps GPS, which, praise God, can be used internationally even when you don't have data. Which, you, you know, maybe some of you don't know that, so it's a great little travel tip. Bring your uh, smartphone along, activate Google Maps, and you can watch your car move along. At that time, you couldn't do the turn-by-turn navigation, which you can do now, but at least you could see where you are and where you needed to get to. And this is what Jesus is giving a genuinely curious Nicodemus, a a GPS without the turn-by-turn navigation. Here's where everyone is, Nicodemus, including you. Here's where you need to get to. But I can't yet give you the turn-by-turn navigation because roads first had to be paved. Jesus had to live out a perfect life. And this is the very beginning of His ministry. He had to die a death we deserve. Another piece of the road. He had to conquer death to prove He's the King of the universe and so forgive us effectively and for eternity. He had to ascend so He could tag team with the Holy Spirit. Boom! And the Holy Spirit could come down and be with and empower all those who trust in Jesus. And so at this point, Jesus could only describe what would be needed for eternal life. Because he hadn't yet paved the way. And I'm going to show you later, Nicodemus does follow Jesus as Jesus paves these roads to what he describes here as new life or regeneration. Jesus described what we now call post-cross, post-resurrection, post-ascension, what we now call the doctrine of new life or the doctrine of regeneration. And I want, Jesus teaches four truths about this. I want us to kind of put our thinking caps on and go through this morning. Firstly, new life. The new life that God plants in you sparks change to the whole person. Look with me in verse 5, if you would, in your Bibles. Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Later, he kind of criticizes Nicodemus for not knowing this. He's he's referring directly to an Old Testament prophecy given 600 years earlier that Nicodemus should have known well. It's from Ezekiel 36. And it's up here on the screen. I will sprinkle clean water on you in that day. In the day of Christ, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. So you see this water thing, right? Water in the Spirit. I will give you a new heart and put what? A new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So it's both the heart and the spirit, the whole person. We should remember this. I think I said it the last three weeks. The Hebrew understanding of the heart was like the control center of a human being. It wasn't just emotions. It was all a person's thoughts, their emotions, their will. So Jesus is referring to that. He's also referring to their ability to connect directly with God. So when He puts new life in you, when God does something in you to start new life, 
It affects the whole person by the power of the Spirit. So that's the first thing. We also know that it's accomplished by God alone. This new life is accomplished by God alone. The the word translated here, if you look in your Bibles, born, comes from the Greek word genao, which means to generate. And we see it eight times, so we know that it's important. To generate, to generate, to generate. Something needs life here. The word again, which is repeated twice, comes from the Greek word anothen, which means either again or above. And I think it's an intentional mixing of again and above. It's the idea of being born again from above. It's only done by God. You can only get new life when God does it in you. It's it's not a situation where you're partnering together. God must do it. Notice, it's always in the passive tense. Done to you. You must be born again. Because we are helpless. We are delivered as it was, to keep this analogy going, spiritually stillborn, lifeless, the complete mercy of God. Something must be done. And this idea is unfurled for us later by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 where we're told that you are made alive together with Christ. Something is done to you. It's, it's by total grace. A gift from God so that no one can boast or take credit for it. Titus 3, verse 5. God saved us not because works done by us in righteousness, by your work, but according to His mercy, by the look at that, washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He does this washing, this renewal in us, totally at His mercy, and that's what sparks new life. John 1, the Gospel we're reading here, verses 12 and 13, yet to all who received Him, those who believed in His name, He, got, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, nothing you can do enough strength, nothing you can do by your own will, but God has to do it. So this new life sparks change to the whole person. It's accomplished by God alone. Thirdly, we can't tell the time in which it takes place. We can't tell the time that new life is conceived in us, but we can notice its effects. Just like conception and pregnancy, right? You don't know when it happens to you. At Jesus' time, there wasn't Sure life, or EBT, I don't know what it's called, like pregnancy test. You didn't know when new life started in you, but you could tell its effects. And we see that here in verse 8, right? This mysterious phrase, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So we don't know when the Spirit is initially at work in our lives, and we don't know where He's going next to begin new life. It's a mystery. But buried in that verse, you see there, but you hear its sound. Just like the wind, right? You hear its sound. You see the effects of it and the trees and the blowing leaves. So you can see and hear the effects of new life with your eyes and with your ears. And we see this when a person's pregnant, right? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Fourthly, new life is just the first step in the process of salvation. You have new life. Then you're called by God. That's when someone tells you about Jesus or you're reading the Bible and you sense God connecting the calling. I want to know you with yourself and with your spirit. And then finally, faith, which is like delivery in the pregnancy metaphor. It's fascinating. If we were to keep reading, we would notice Jesus' teaching follows this three-step process. He talks first about new life. Then he starts to talk about calling, which Nicodemus struggles with it. Then he talks about belief over and over four separate times as we get further into John 3. Now, you don't have to know all of this. 
You don't have to memorize all of this, but it gives you some background that we're going to continue to go through and gives you a reference for the tool that proceeds from Jesus' teaching. One more little bit of teaching, though, first. Indulge me. When Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, and, Nicodemus, and Jesus first presents this idea of you've got to be born again, Nicodemus' first response to Jesus, I think, is largely misunderstood. Read with me again Nicodemus' response. Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Most scholars, when they read this, fall on one or two sides. They say Nicodemus is either spiritually blind and hard, or he's actually being kind of rude to Jesus, kind of mocking of Jesus. Like, seriously, Jesus? How is that possible? That kind of tone. But I think it's the most natural response one can give to a radically new claim, a claim that one must be born a second time. Nicodemus just responds probably like any of us would. Imagine if I suggested to you that you and I should fly to Cuba. All right, right now, we're going to go, we're going to fly to Cuba, but you knew nothing about airplanes. You don't know airplanes exist. And I say to you, let's go fly to Cuba. What are you going to say to me? How? <laughs> are you crazy, pixie dust? Like, what, what's going to happen with that, right? But see, I already would know that you would say How? Because there's never been anything like this before. And once you said how, I would have waiting, anticipating behind this curtain a lovely, shiny new airplane. I'd be like, here's how, airplane. You'd be like, oh, this is amazing. Now, Jesus is a master teacher. Nicodemus only knows about physical birth. Jesus anticipates that Nicodemus will only think about physical birth. So he can lift the curtain and say, oh, but you don't know about spiritual birth. And here's the cool thing it actually parallels physical birth. It's, it's so much like physical birth in many ways. Hence, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what's born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus is setting Nicodemus up here. Also, verse 12, I have told you of earthly things and you don't believe. How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Physical birth, spiritual birth, earthly birth, heavenly birth. Jesus is saying they are parallel. Now, in his book, Beginnings, by uh, Stephen Smallman, he shares something he's used in ministry of the last 20 years called the birth line, which proceeds from John chapter 3. And I'm going to ask you to draw this with me this morning. So you're going to need a pen, and you're going to need your bulletin. And I want you to draw this with me. If you don't draw this this morning, it's not going to be very helpful for you. It's not going to be very practical for you. So find a pen. we got some in these chair pockets. Hail a pen if you need to. I will give you my pen if anyone needs one. Raise your hand. I'll let you, you, you hold on to this for a moment. I see you over here. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to start out by drawing a line across your sheet from left to right. Okay? You're going to draw a line. At the end of the line, you're going to draw an arrow. Right? So, long line with an arrow at the end. And at the far left-hand side, all right, above the line, I want you to, to write conception. Conception. And then right below that, on the bottom side of the line, new life. Conception, new life. I'll move a little bit to the right. You're going to see this up on the screen here. You can just follow that. Then you're going to put pregnancy next to conception. Then below pregnancy, you're going to put calling. Then move a little further to your right. You see the progression here. Delivery, colon, baby cries. <laughs> Beneath that, conversion, you express faith. Now move a little further to your right. And you're going to write growth. This is after someone is Delivered. Someone is converted. There's growth. 
Then you're going to write next to growth, milk, and maybe a little further over, solid food. And then below that, you're going to write growth. And also next to that, milk and solid food. So we have these four stages here. Beneath the bottom line, you might want to write physical birth, spiritual birth, sorry. And on the above, physical birth. That's because they parallel. Jesus is just trying to be very simple in Nicodemus. You're thinking of physical birth, and you're close, but you also need spiritual Over the last month, guys, I have drawn this out for over a dozen persons. First, I was pretty nervous about it. Christians and skeptics, mature and unsure about their faith, all kinds of different people. I explained it briefly, then I asked each person to put an X wherever they think they currently stand with God. And unlike what I kind of share within the bridge illustration of here's God, here's you, you're separated by sin, here's the cross in the middle, and unlike sharing my testimony, which is primarily a monologue, God uses to immediately direct the conversation so they can share. I just do a brief explanation. This is how Jesus describes how physical birth is like spiritual birth. And then I ask them, where would you put yourself? Where do you see yourself? It's a true dialogue without it slipping into that monologue. The result was, with every person I think but one, a minimum of a 15-minute conversation up to an hour about where they are with God and then the need for new birth. In other words, it's a, it's a tool to begin a spiritual conversation, a faith conversation with friends, with families, with coworkers, with neighbors. The other person, in my experience, especially the interested uh, um, but maybe unsure, felt that they could be real without having to be embarrassed. That was one of our questions, right? He or she can acknowledge, you know, God is doing something there without having to force to to say, well, I'm a Christian. Oftentimes the way you and I talk to others is like we're constantly saying, you're either here or there. You're either in with Jesus or you're out. And to some extent that's true. Ultimately, you do have to make a decision about Jesus. But in the meantime, there is room for God to be working and calling and moving without you yet being ready to trust your life to Him. Make sense? So it's very helpful for those of us we talk to who feel the pressure of saying, oh, I should say I'm a Christian. Maybe in reality, there's something else they can say without forsaking the idea that God's at work in their life. So I want to encourage you right now, take a moment and mark an X where you feel you stand on the birth line. Right now, take your pen, mark a little X where you are on this line, okay? Maybe you're here this morning, but you don't know why. You could, you could put a dotted X next to conception, a new life. You're here for a reason. Maybe a dotted X and a question mark. We don't know for sure. Perhaps you're living to gratify yourself, parking hard on the weekends, but something keeps bringing you back on Sundays. Or you have doubts that need to be rectified, questions that need answering, but you're actually trying to get them answered. You're seeking answers to your questions. Or perhaps you're scared about what you'd have to give up to follow Him. But you're still attracted to the good news. You're in that, that pregnancy calling stage where God is calling you and there's a work being done. I want to encourage you that if He has begun a good work in you, God promises He will see it to completion. And that's encouraging. Even if you mark yourself right there next to pregnancy calling. Maybe you're ready today to finally say yes to Jesus. He's been calling you and moving in your life. But you haven't yet relented and said yes. I I pray that if that's you today, that you would. You would finally say yes to Jesus and say, I'm ready to finally trust Him. 
Perhaps you've already declared that, expressed faith. But you've hardly grown. You're stuck in the baby stage. And your faith is still fragile. So you're kind of a little bit to the right of that line, right, of delivery and conversion. Perhaps you're, you're starting to grow through milk. You're, you're, you're cracking open the Bible for the first time or in what seems like forever. You're, you're buying worship music and singing it. You're enjoying fellowship and even having people pray for you, though it was scary at first. You're feeding on that necessary milk to begin to grow up in the salvation that God has given you. But some of us can't keep growing on milk. We need solid foods. God is calling you to use your spiritual gifts to serve. He, he's, he wants to challenge you in obedience. He wants you to pray boldly for other people. Right? To take a risk. To apply God's truth in areas you've previously considered off-limits, God. You can't come into this area of my life. I don't want you here. But that's the only way you can keep growing. Now, if you came with someone you feel comfortable enough sharing with the person next to you, perhaps maybe Right now, show them where you marked X on your line. All right, take a moment. Only if you feel comfortable. Only if you feel comfortable, show them where you marked X on your line. And maybe this week's take home, this week's take home is just to start the conversation with him or her and, and maybe one other person in the church. Keep it low pressure. Keep it in the family, if you will. Just start the conversation. What I found is, even if you marked growth over here and you're like on solid foods and you're, you're growing, that even if you mark there, you can't help but want to talk about when God, you think God began new life in you and when, when He began to call you and sharing your story with someone else. Make sense? So share that with someone this week. It's so simple. I know you look, maybe look at this chart and you think, Ryan, this is complicated. I can't do it. I want to show you how simple it is. In fact, the best persons who can grasp it are probably children. Small children. Who maybe have a younger brother and sister? Is there any child here with a younger brother or sister? Any child here with a younger brother or sister? Oh, Ben, do you want to? Do you want me to ask you a couple questions? Up to you. All right, all right, all right, Ben, give Ben a hand. Come on, here we go, Ben. All right, Ben. Um, how old is your youngest brother? He's one. Okay. Do you remember when mommy was pregnant? When she had her baby in her? Remember that? Kind of? No, okay. You probably do. It's okay, though. Do you remember when... Um, well, let me ask you this. How could you tell the baby was inside your mom? Because it was getting bigger. Yeah. Mommy's... Where's mom? <laughs> His words, not mine. Uh, I'll just repeat it for the radio and stuff later. Uh, because tummy was getting bigger. But that's not when the baby started, was it? The baby didn't start when it was big in her, was it? It was small, right. Uh, new life started earlier. You can learn about that when you're older. Um, did, it, did it take a while for the baby to come out? Yeah, probably. And for, and for some moms, it takes more time than others. Right? We don't know when a person's going to give delivery. Um, hey, has Harrison grown since then, would you say? Uh, did he first start drinking milk to grow? Yeah. Does he still drink only milk? He eats solid food, doesn't he? And right there, Ben has given us what takes place with the new birth. Let's thank, thank you, Ben. Just like physical. <laughs> that was awesome. That's how easy it is. When you talk to your friends or family about new birth, it, ta- it takes the same order as a new life of a baby. So if you took health in high school, 
Or if you have a child, you're okay. You should be able to do this. For Nicodemus, salvation was a process. As a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body, he was very familiar with the Old Testament, both its law and its prophecies. And if not from that, it's likely in this encounter with Jesus when God begins a good work in him. In fact, we see Nicodemus two more times in John's Gospel. Flip over, if you will, to John chapter 7. We're going to read verses 44 through 51. Some of the leaders, the religious leaders, wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him, that is Jesus. This is John chapter 7, 44 through 51. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, hey, why didn't you bring him to us? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered him, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? No, of course not. But this crowd that does not know the law, they're accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, to Jesus before, who was, and who was one of the Pharisees, in other words, he's going to get flack for saying this, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So Nicodemus sees the soldiers are open enough to Jesus and, and admit no one has spoke like this man, and so he has an openness enough to say, you know, in effect, every thought, have you ever thought, sorry, of giving this guy a fair hearing, judging him based on what he does? We see Nicodemus appear one more time. John chapter 19, look at the end of John. John 19, if you could flip over there, keep this all bookmarked. Verse 38, after these things, after Christ had died, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus. Pilate gave permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. This was to honor Jesus, to embalm Jesus. So they took the body of Jesus, bound in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, in the garden a new tomb, which no one had been laid. So Nicodemus goes on first to come to Jesus, then he shows an openness to Jesus, and then even is devoted in some way, shape, or form to Jesus. And my question for you guys is, who is Nicodemus in your life? Many start out thinking they know God when they see him, just like Nicodemus did, right? Nicodemus is so sure of himself. He says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with them. They're qualified to judge rightly for themselves. They feel like they see life clearly, and their relationship with God is good enough. I have my own spirituality, you might often hear. I want to encourage you, sit down with them, present to them the birth line. Ask them where they would place themselves. Some are in the stage where they're open to Jesus because they've seen his words at work in real life, just like Nicodemus did. Sit down with them, present to them the birth line. Ask them where they place themselves. It might very well be that they're able to place themselves near new life or pregnancy, calling. Because they recognize that despite holding back, they keep coming to church. Despite their doubts, they're still listening. Despite... Living for themselves, they recognize that's not satisfying them. So challenge them. Ask them where they would put themselves. All you're asking them is to put an X on a line. And then remind them also that faith is still needed. Encourage them. If God's at work in you, he's going to see it to completion. And encourage them faith is still needed. Some are even closer. They're devoted to church. Perhaps they grew up in church or they're hearing a new message for the first time. Or maybe it's because they see the good effects of church in their life. 
or the life of their children if they have kids. Sit down with them, present to them a birth line, ask them where they place themselves. And I can't say for certain what brought you here to church this morning. No doubt you brought stuff with you. Maybe you need wisdom for making everyday decisions at work. Maybe you came this morning hoping to get direction for the future or assistance with a a strong-willed child or a child who doesn't seem to have any will at all. They just sit on the couch. Maybe you needed some advice on how to encourage a spouse who's in a much different place than you are right now. Or you needed steps to really overcome an addiction or an idol in your life, something you put before God. Whether it's a teaching, a soundbite, or a TED Talk, we like everything to be very practical, don't we? Practical becomes like the highest compliment you can give to almost anything someone says or writes. But practical, I think, guys, often translates as immediately doable to help myself. If I can do it to help me, that constitutes practical. But practical often goes beyond ourselves, doesn't it? While wisdom, assistance, step-by-step guidance is very important, our mission at Sunrise is to introduce people to Jesus and help them grow by His grace. And we consider this to be a community effort. All of us, together, making efforts, thinking together, praying together. How can we introduce another person to Jesus? And beyond that, I have to also say, new birth is really practical. Receiving a regenerated heart and a renewed mind is is probably the most practical step you can make to discern what's most wise and fruitful to your work and in your workplace. To establish the right priorities so you can discern God's direction for your life. For patience to genuinely flow from your heart to your child or to your spouse who acts like a child. And not just use a self-help method of blink and breathe, blink and breathe, count to ten. Power birthed from, with, from within to overcome an addiction or a counterfeit God. Remember what Jesus is referring to Ezekiel 36. From your idols, I will cleanse you. Starting a faith dialogue about the second birth is practical only if it's practiced. Only if you begin practicing with others. The crass, the curious, like Nicodemus, the church folk, and Christians, and allow others to practice on you. Will it then become practical? And who knows, maybe even life-changing. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you would life in us. That you would look at us rebels, us who are blind, us who are spiritually stillborn, and you would give us life. Father, there might be some this morning whom you are just speaking to. I pray that you would give them life and you would begin a good work in them that will be brought to completion. We don't pray this for the the sermon's sake. We just want you to do this in people's lives. Father, for those of us um, who just need to be honest with ourselves about where we're at and how we need to grow, encourage our hearts challenge us. Help, help us get with someone this week and just talk about the birth line. Talk about where we're at in the process of salvation. You know, I think, Lord, you honor tools like, like this birth line which honor your word, proceed from your word in a creative way. So I pray that you would use this to help those of us who really care about seeing friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors come to trust you to go from conception pregnancy, you calling them, to declaring openly and expressing with their mouth, I believe, 
to cry out to You. Please encourage our hearts. Help us not stay lukewarm where we just want to rely on the pastor or someone else or a book or a CD to bring others to Christ when You want to use us. We pray that You would. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.